As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of burn and return thank you for all the patrons if you look at if you're watching this on video some people are watching on on audio if you're watching on video you will see our patrons here uh scrolling scrolling by at the bottom if i get, if I get a, a list of those i will uh i'll read those down at the end here jp yeah i can hit you with that that's everyone that's at the real level they get excellent co-executive producer show title rates Mm-hmm. as they should as they should um so my name is matt martin i go by the grass factor on the youtube and all the other social medias and uh we're man down right now but that's not to say that we're going to be out for the entire show man down uh, but at least joining me for right now we also have ray the green doc how the hell are you ray i'm doing well thank you thank you i mean just another lazy sunday for me I hear you. I we we all need those. Uh, I I I can tell you too that I've been I've been waiting to have one, and I have to say that this was pretty close to a damn lazy Sunday for me, and I will I will take it for what it's worth. Um, uh, Demay is is managing children right now, and for the uh, the parents that are that are listening right now, you understand what that's like. You know, we record this on Sunday nights and, you know, when you're trying to get them to go to sleep and it's Sunday and they got school tomorrow and they get all cranky and want to fight about it and all that fun stuff. So he will yeah. be back. Um, trying to think is it, was there anything we needed to, to, to cover as far as, uh, uh, housekeeper or anything like that? You know, if, uh, if you're at the real level, I'll tell you right now, look for a message from Jay Pink and, uh, he's going to get you situated there. Uh, all that fun stuff. <laughs> Somebody said watching on audio. That's right. That this is radio visual land right here is what we're doing. Radio <laughs> visuals. Um, but with that, gentlemen, let's go ahead and jump into this week's headlines. Nothing to fear here. This is just the Boys, this is a fun one here that is definitely worth talking about. And I'm going to bring up something a little later on in the show about this specific company as well, because I think it does need to be addressed. Uh, but if we look in and uh, here, here we go. Mosaic shares falter after Vail's $1.26 billion Mosaic stock sale. Uh, Mosaic company's shares were under pressure Friday after iron ore producer Vail 
move to raise about $1.26 billion by exiting its ownership in the phosphate and potash company, and Mosaic agreed to buy some of the stock being offloaded. Uh, in morning trading, Mosaic was trading 4.4% lower at 37.10, a share narrowing the gain since the end of last year to only a measly 61% year over year. Ugh. Mosaic said the Brazilian company priced an offering of about 34.2 million Mosaic shares its entire stake. Uh, the offering is set to close on Thursday. The company said it agreed to repurchase just over 8.5 million of its own shares from Morgan Stanley at a price per share equal but what the offering underwriter will buy the shares from Vale. Vale picked up the shares of Mosaic as part of the sale to the company in 2018 of its fertilizer business. So at one point, Vale was in the uh, fertilizer game, and so that's how they ended up with the ownership of the shares. Mosaic is one of the predominant who's who's in the fertilizer spaces, right? And you can think of uh, as Mosaic in the same playing field as like uh, Coke, right? Uh, and if you're wondering what oh, what is Coke, it's not C O K E. I'm talking about K O C H, like a la the Coke brothers, right? Um, Coke Industries has been one of the most dominant players until uh, the uh, accumulation and agglomeration of who was it? It was Agrium and Potash Corp that made Nutrien, and all of a sudden Coke was usurped by Nutrien, and now. Nutrient is probably the biggest of them all. Uh, and then lingering in the background there, you have uh, TCS and Coke that has now merged into allied nutrients. And then you also have uh, people like um, uh, Vertesian Life Sciences and Mosaic out here as well. Mosaic, most predominantly known for their production of phosphorus. They are the major phosphorus producer in the United States. And as we see here, they're taking a little bit of a hit. Rightfully so. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. Yeah. Right. My problem is, is that well, I, I'll, wait till we, I'll wait till we get to that topic. It doesn't harm me to see Mosaic take a little bit of a hit um, because, because they control the phosphorus market. When you, when you think phosphorus in the United States, there's only one thing to think, and that is, you have no other options. You have no other options. Right. And that drives right. me crazy. Mm -hmm. Maybe so, the play here, Ray, is we buy our own reactor of uh, phosphoric acid and ammonia. And we just start we just start producing our own phosphorus. Maybe, because uh, you know what's astonishing to me? How, how is it that monopolies or virtual monopolies are just being allowed to exist? You know, how, how and why are we allowing that? And is that a good thing? Well, if I recall correctly, it is, uh, I, I, I'm not super in tune with all this, but uh, don't we have like uh, the Federal Trade Commission and the Security and Exchange Commission to uh, try and prevent a lot of these monopolies from forming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where well, are they? Where, is, it, is, where this, are they? is this another example of bureaucracy and government failing? Yes, that, that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm thinking, because 
how is it that in the United States uh, we only have mosaic for phosphorus? And tell me again what uh, Nutrien does. Uh, are they supposedly the big kahuna as far as uh, potash is concerned? Yes, and I believe they also produce their own ammonia as well. Uh, ammonia, so okay. I think, I think they are owners of ammonia, and uh, they own the majority of all the potash mines in the United States. Uh, Mosaic has a mine, a, a cleanup mine, and then, of course, we have Compass Minerals out in Utah that has the sulfate of potash mine. But, um, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's really about it. Um, in terms of, of competition out there, there's just not really any. There, there is no competition because, uh, yeah, when you said uh, mosaic for phosphorus, uh, you know, nutrient for potash, and of course, back in the old days, uh, when you said urea, I immediate my head immediately goes to Koch brothers. You know, so yeah, I mean they 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 pioneered it. They you know uh, helped develop a lot of the the engineering behind it. And I think a German group, ThyssenKrupp, was also one of the major players in uh, in in uh, bringing up the efficiency of urea production. I know that as well. And um, mm. yeah, I mean they ran with it. They did they did really well. And then when you start talking about enhanced efficiency, you know, I mean the first people I think of is Coke as well. Um, I don't, right, I don't know. Right. It, yes. Th- I mean, th- it really, that is when I think of enhanced. Yeah, because, uh, you know, up, up until very recently, you know, in fact, right now uh, I have a a bag on the truck that says Cook Brothers Umax. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Uflex, so. Hydrex, uh, uh, any of your duration products. There for a while, they also own the rights to Polyon. Um, I mean, you know, Coke is pretty ingrained. In the same way, if you look at a bag of fertilizer and you have phosphorus in it, chances mm-hmm. are, chance, there is a 90% chance that phosphorus came from Mosaic. Unless, unless it is monopotassium phosphate uh, or dipotassium phosphate, then there is a chance it came from overseas. There's a greater chance of that, right? So it's either coming out of Chile um, with SQM, I think SQM is based in Chile, if I recall correctly. Maybe Argentina. I can't remember off the top. Argentina, of yeah, Argentina, Argentina. And then when you, and then when you say uh, Israel, MKP, then that is that company I know as Haifa. Haifa, which is an Israeli yeah. company, and yeah, uh, Israel, and they pretty much own that market. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's it's amazing how the fertilizer industry has become so consolidated. Incredibly consolidated. And unfortunately, that puts us into situations like we're in right now, which uh, yes. we're probably not going to get a whole lot into on today's show. But I think next week's show, uh, we're going to do a deep dive into uh, the latest of what the fertilizer forecasts have to offer. But in the meantime, Let's check out this next headline here because this 
damn near had, had me willing to go ahead, renew my passport and make the trip to Canada because boys, $200 per hour offered for snowplow drivers amid a shortage. This is coming out of Boston. Forget Lyft and, Lyft and Uber. Some drivers had the chance for a much larger payday by driving snowplows. A shortage of snowplow drivers in Massachusetts last year meant some major roads were not cleared. Many towns don't want to see that happen again, so they're offering major incentives. Watertown is offering applicants with a commercial driver's license $200 an hour. Of course, you can't plow snow all year, 40 hours a week, but if you could, that would equal more than four hundred grand a year. Uh, Worcester and Lowell are offering 155 an hour, and other towns are advertising rates of 135 an hour. One heads up, if you're interested, for some of the jobs, applicants must have their own trucks. No problem. <laughs> Sign me up. If all I need is a truck and a CDL, and they supply the salt, dude, yeah, get me loaded up. I, this, is, this is my old remedy for, uh, for snowplowing, Ray, was a thermos full of coffee and mm-hmm. a bag full of Egg McMuffins from uh, uh, McDonald's. And if I had to stay out there 24 hours, I'd stay out there 24 hours. I used to plow, oh. and it, it wasn't even necessarily plowing because we get more ice than snow here, right? We get ice storms. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not super often, but when it does, because it is all primarily uh, 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 ice, you know, you can run a snowplow all, all day long over it, and you're not really going to get anything done. Well, we had a commercial contract that included the, the landscaping and stuff for, for Pepsi, one of the, uh, the Pepsi distribution warehouses in town. and. Right. The, in order to get their trucks into the loading ramp, they had to go up this big hill. And if you've ever tried to pull an 18-wheeler up a hill, it doesn't work very well. And these some bitches run 247. Like, these guys go hard in the paint, nonstop. Yes. Rain, snow, shine, ice, doesn't matter. They're out delivering their mm-hmm. damn Pepsi. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would have to sit out there with a, a bobcat and scrape the ice and scrape the ice and scrape the ice. Um, or if they couldn't make it up the hill, we would chain the, uh, the trucks to the Bobcats and, uh, and use the Bobcats to pull them up the hill. So I've wow. had my fair share of 24 hour shifts managing snow or ice as, as it is. And, uh, it, and it does, it does pay well too, right? You know, I mean, you, you pretty much write your check on, on that one. It's a, it's a pretty hefty little payday there. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry you don't get to experience this in Hawaii, Ray. It's worth doing once. The second year, it's not as fun, but the first year, it's 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 a giant adrenaline rush. I don't know because I, I'd probably say that uh, what I know about that is if you have ice on on surfaces, you need a shit ton of sand and salt to you know melt that ice and uh and get it off of the road <laughs> you do but, you go through an absolute megaton of salt out there and I, somebody's going to ask me you know what unit of measurement is a megaton and it's somewhere between a shit and a fuck ton um it's <laughs> a lot and you know, the the thing is, though, is that you get locked in, and this is what I learned, uh, uh, you get locked into this false sense of security that, okay, you get out there, you um, uh, uh, put it down. Well, 
salt melts and then as it runs as that water runs it sometimes can re refreeze right and uh there was a lot of times that's what would happen right until the sun came out if the sun came out and it and you were able to melt it then it would dry and it was no big deal but when you're doing this shit in the middle of the night it just constantly refreezes and uh and especially if it's going to continue snowing for like a 24 or 48 hour period then you know you got there's no there's no downtime for it to dry up or 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 anything you know cuz you got cloud cover the entirety of the time and and it's a it's an odd thing but i'll tell you right now i think i think i was being paid $75 an hour to have a bobcat on site um and that included a man with that bobcat um and and then it was like a 5x markup per per bag of salt that went down uh so you know it it worked out you're out there for 24 hours you know that's that's a good that's a good little payday right you know 75 bucks an hour I, you know that's that's awesome i've you know this is the only time in my life i've ever made that kind of money so here <laughs> though I don't know, Lushy. If if you're listening out there, when I when I hear this, I kind of don't don't come down south. Maybe maybe I'll get my passport renewed and head up to Canada because I'd love I'd love <laughs> to make hundred bucks an hour out there driving a snowplow. That'd be a lot of fun. Ray, would you enjoy running a snowplow? That kind of piece of equipment. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, because uh, I, I, I guess I have my limits as far as uh, what kind of conditions I want to be out in. And otherwise, do you know what I like about the concept of snow? The fact that most people freaking stay home. The fact that most people freaking stay home. Okay. Because you see, uh, I was talking with this about when somebody, you know, on Zoom last night, and he was relating to me about how one of his buddies is stationed at the Marine base uh, on the island. And okay, he told me they were turned out for PT, right? Except while they were turned out for PT. It just so happens that it was raining about seven inches an hour. Oh, that's swimming weather. Okay, seven inches an hour. And the thing is, is that when you have that much water on the road, tires don't work well either no what is it a half inch of water on the road you hydroplane at 60 miles an hour i think it is is it is is that is that what the generalized rule of thumb is yeah yeah and a lot of people they don't readjust their thinking so when it rains like that people get themselves into horrible situations i'm talking slide off the road uh you know multiple you know multiple car collisions uh it's just a shit show it's just an absolute shit show and a water depth of a tenth of an inch on a road 
mm-hmm. you can theoretically hydroplane at speeds as low as 35 miles an hour at a tenth of an inch. That, okay, I, mean, I, that, I believe I believe it. Crazy. I believe it, Matt. No, I believe it, Matt, because anytime it rains, uh, that is my time to literally stay at home and hang out with the guys on the Discord. Because I want no part of I want no part of it. <laughs> Seriously, I want nothing to do with the uh, impending catastrophe. Yeah. So here's one that's a little more specific. Uh, a tenth of an inch for thirty feet at fifty miles an hour is uh, is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just yep. kind of getting off into the weeds there, but uh, thought, shit, yeah. man. Yeah. I'll I mean, snow for two hundred bucks an hour. Sign me up. Sure. Sure. I mean, at least you can see it, right? At least you can see the the hazard. Uh, Ray, we went to the GIE Expo this year, and guess what? Mm. The attendance Mm -hmm. this year was over its 2019 showing. The show will rebrand and relaunch in 2020 as the Equip Expo, which sounds a bit like a horse show, but that's fine. Uh, It returned in person (laughs) to Louisville, Kentucky, with an increase in attendees from all segments of the outdoor power equipment and lawn and garden industry. The trade show drew 24,000 total uh, attendees in 2021, an increase from the shows in 2019 and 2018, introduced a new name and brand for the annual event. The Equipment Exposition was debuted as the name for the 2022 show, which will take place in Louisville October 19th, 21st, 2022. This year's strong showing is huge for us in the industry as we look toward next year and the transition to equip exposition, said Chris Kaiser, president of Outdoor Power Equipment Institute, managing partner of the show. The trade show remains the best place to connect with your peers network and gain a competitive business edge. We're excited to evolve the show and can't wait for everyone to see everyone in Louisville next year. Uh, Not shocking because as, well, I don't know. I, I wonder if the number of green industry businesses are at an all-time high right now. I would say yes would be my, my yes. argument. And, you know, as you get into this, and it, you know, what a great place to go connect with your peers, right? Um, you're not mm-hmm. dealing with, with uh, um, average people out in the world. You, you know what I mean? Like, if you want to talk grass with somebody, you could pretty much talk to anybody there and talk grass with them. You want to talk to, about equipment with anybody, you could pretty much talk to anybody there about equipment, whatever the case may be, right? And, you know, they come from all walks of life. You're going to see people with $20 million businesses and you're going to see people with $2,000 businesses, right? But everybody is um, everybody is equally is, is passionate about the industry, typically, if they're going to that type of thing. And uh, so it does not shock me to see that. And kudos to those guys for, for living it up. Would you do it again, Ray? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's I mean, uh, s- sign me up for, ne- for next year. I mean, I don't care if they change the name. Uh, do it again. <laughs> That's right. I'll do it That's again right. and, and, and make just as much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make just as much trouble. <laughs> rename this the GDE, which is going to stand for the Green Doc Expo, and uh, I think that will be uh, hey, the show of all shows. Matt Michael Selly in the chat says that you know you could also point out it was the first GIE that also had a Grass Factor DeMay Green Doc appearance, that's and a, they that's right. had more people in attendance. 
Just saying. Isn't that funny? Hmm. Isn't that funny? Interesting how that works, right? I mean, yeah. I hate to get off into the conspiracy world here again for the second time, uh, but I think I think I think you're on to something there, Michael. Yeah, I mean it's uh, because I've been told that I'm kind of a notorious character. <laughs> there's no doubt if there's anything to take away from this year's GDE, as it has been colloquially renamed, is that uh, Ray Ray is not scared to uh, uh, stomp out a flaming bag of dog turds. Uh, we we watched it happen on deck of a uh, a fine establishment called Taj. And that's all we're going to say about that on the air. But gentlemen, I, I want to thank everybody right now for listening. This week's sponsor is, again, our patrons. Because, listen, patrons, do you know how we were able to pull this off? Do you know why we were at the GIE? Do you know how all this comes together? It's because of members like you. That's how we're able to get this done. Look, we have multiple different levels here that you can choose to or not choose to. If you can't, don't worry about it. We ain't going to sweat you. Eat up all the content you possibly can. But if you're of means and you you want more than what, what you get on the show, that's what the Patreon's for. Uh, you get to join our private Discord. You get more time to interact with us one-on-one. Uh, and you get to do things like vote on the, the name of the, of the episodes, which I actually enjoy. We're going to do that at the end of the show. Once we end it, that's actually what we cut away to. We, we go and we have a little, little private stream there. And you know we, we pick the title of the show. And that's a lot of fun. Also, you get benefits, right? At the at the upper tiers, at the rotary and real tiers. You know, you're a member for a certain amount of time and you know, you get you get a free piece of merch out of it, right? And if you're at the at the real one, you get a free t-shirt out of it after basically quarterly, right? So after after three months, you know, look, you got it, you got a sticker showing up, you got a t-shirt showing up, and then three months after that, you got another one coming in. These are all going to be exclusive stuff. This is not something we're going to put into a merch store and sell like that. This is done specifically for our patrons. So I want to thank each and every one of you that have supported us up to this point. Look at this right here. Look at this mf right here. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Look at this God. shirt. Ray and the really? Long Lizards. <laughs> 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 We're going to stop the show right now because that is such a heavy mic drop. That's it. <laughs> That's a mic drop. Yeah. I'm all out of, I ran out of words on that. That is what the Patreon is for right there. Jay Ping, you're a wizard. I'm telling you right now. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash burn and return. We thank you ever so kindly. But gentlemen, let's get into this week's burns. Is it Sheila? Do the damn thing. Uh, this first one here, pay attention. Pay attention. Dubuque. Did I say that right? Dubuque. 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 Dubuque Fertilizer Company to pay $270,000 after a spill that killed fish and mussels. Up to 1 million gallons of high-strength nitrogen fertilizer flowed from the plant with much going into a pond that sometimes drains into the Mississippi River. Dubuque Fertilizer and Grain Storage Company has agreed to pay nearly 270 k after a June 2020 fertilizer spill that killed hundreds of fish and mussels. 
Uh, Gavilon Grain, which signed a consent order with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources on October 22nd, alerted the Iowa DNR on June 18th. An operator was transferring 32% UAN between above-ground tanks when the receiving tank was overfilled. The transfer was not staffed and the spill not immediately detected. Up to 1 million gallons of fertilizer flowed from the facility through storm sewers into Bee Branch Pond, which sometimes flow into the Mississippi River. DNR concluded that the fertilizer release caused an impact to BBP, causing harm to aquatic life. At least 787 fish and 181 mussels killed. The largest part of the assessment against uh, Gavilon is 244 grand to restore giant floater and plain pocketbook mussels. Gavilon agreed to pay 18282 in fish restitution and investigated costs for the 2020 spill. The DNR assessed seven grand in administrative penalties. Gavilon storage of 4 million gallons of high-strength nitrogen fertilizer adjacent to BBP and UMR without overfill and leak detection was not contrary to existing state or federal requirements, but installing overfill and leak detection would be prudent prevention measures if conducting unstaffed tank filling activities. Interesting here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Gavilon is a trader, right? So uh, I don't think they actually do much manufacturing, but they are a commodity broker and a very, very, very large commodity broker. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, they have to do things like store 4 million gallons of liquid fertilizer. Um, and they are all up and down the Mississippi River. And so basically any major unloading port or dock along the Mississippi River, guarantee Gavilon has an unloading uh, spot there. Here we go. I wonder if they, I wonder, so this happened in 2020, right? Um, I wonder why they were doing an unstaffed tank transfer. That to me sounds weird and out of the ordinary. Uh, this happened in June of 2020. This is, this is, this is high COVID time, right? Yeah, this, I think this was when, uh, basically everybody was on stay at home orders, June, 2020 from, I think, what was that? April 2020 to what is that July or August 2020 everybody was stay at home uh but even then Matt you know for a big like fertilizer storage yard isn't that all like mostly outdoors yes I would like to it think is. I would I would like to think that in such a big area, you wouldn't need to necessarily shut everything down and send everybody home. I would like to think. I mean, well, but, I think the difficult part then was, and I know this is the situation we ran into, was people not feeling safe coming to work regardless of distance. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I can tell you that because June of 2020, you know, we were rocking and rolling at, at carbon earth. And that was when, um, you know, the first little wave of like April and stuff, when they started to shut things down, there was not really much happening in the town we were in, in Kentucky, McLean County. Um, mm-hmm. however, uh, by the time June rolled around, it was like in full swing. And I would say we were, um, we were averaging missing 
25% of our staff on a daily basis for whatever reasons, like scared exposure, uh, scared to be at work or whatever the case may be. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was a lot. I mean, we were, we were down 2020 in staffing was horrendous. I'm sure this year is equally as bad, uh, if not even worse, but 2020 was the, the shock and all phase of becoming accustomed to the types of labor shortages that we were dealing with. So I would say that would be a potential major catalyst for doing an unstaffed million gallon tank transfer. We're talking about million gallons in every, UAN. Everybody, UAN. Ryan Demay's back. Hey, hey, Ryan. Welcome you know, back. Like the, uh, yeah, you know the, the 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 words you never want to hear from your college girlfriend, right? I'm late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, <laughs> but anyhow, uh, is this the uh, the uh, oops we uh, let the uh, the holding tank at the port there in Dubuque go a little bit over overflow, like by yeah. four hundred thirty-five thousand gallons? Uh, it was a million <laughs> gallons. Yep. Million, oh, a million, yeah, straight. What's that? About a million. For? I mean, there's that much water passing through that point on the Mississippi in about like six tenths of a second, Ray. I mean, it'll wash out. The solution, However, right? the pollution. Do we? Hey, 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 how do we throw sand on it when it's in the river, though, guys? We can't. <laughs> that's the problem. We can't. We can't cover it with sand or and. I don't know if you can muster up enough uh, bentonite kitty litter to soak that up either, Deme. I'm just not yeah. seeing it. <laughs> I, I, how, That's a problem. Think, seriously, <laughs> when I read this article, okay, now the, granted, there are ecological disasters all over the place and bad things happen all the time, right? At work for us. But could you imagine the conversation, you know, when let's just call him Keith. You know, goes in to tell his mm-hmm. boss, like, "Hey, had a little problem with the with the barge in the holding tank last night." <gasps> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How bad was it? Oh, just a little bit. You know, small amount, plus or minus about a million gallons. Twenty five percent of our potential inventory. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's. That's the other thing, man, is like, the, it's not even just like the, the fines and all that. It's like, there there's some serious lost coin right there in terms of, uh, yeah. Lost product. Lost product. Uh, that's, all, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> so I was doing the math on this, right? At a million oh gallons um, times 11.08 pounds per gallon. And then 32% of that. Um, Mm-hmm. I came up with 3.539 million pounds of nitrogen. Uh, that lost. Was... Plus yeah. they plus they paid for the freight to get it there, and then, oops, yeah, they sp- they yeah. spilled it, and they spilled it. I mean, because for me, uh, UAN, uh, that is liquid gold to me. So you tell me you lost a million gallons of UAN. I just see dollar signs and money. It's like, oh, God, you know, the, our money's flowing down the Mississippi River, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
let's see let's see if we can get a uh a, a a price on that real quick um i think i last saw a ton of uan um is going to be somewhere around $600 a ton uh for Let's see. Oh, a million gallons uh, times 11.08 uh, divided by 2,000 times uh, 600. Yeah, that's a that's a 3.3 million dollar loss there. <laughs> they just oh, just oopsed. They just oopsed into the drain. Like boys. Whoa. Hey boys. We'll write that uh, off as a, as a qualified business expense. It's okay. pumping fees 3.3 billion dollars what's that uh from uh you don't watch movies matt so never mind i I don't make a movie reference there dumb and dumber the ious nope two hundred fifty thousand dollars that's a big one might want to hang on to that one Mm -hmm. i got this uh i got nothing someday matthew someday we're gonna make it all happen baby steps baby steps don't put too much on me too fast at one time because I get really overwhelmed and I might. I can tell. Crying. I can tell. Let's check out this next one here because who is going to follow up with California when it comes to the sounds of power equipment? Hawaii. Pick a state. Oh, I'm just going to say Hawaii. No, we're going to New York for this one. Senators seek support of bills silencing gas-powered lawn equipment. Uh, two state senators joined Sleepy Hollow Mayor Ken Ray at DeVries Park. Is that DeVries or DeVries? How do you say that? We'll call it DeVries. We'll call it DeVries. Uh, November 3rd to bring attention to bills that would pull the plug on gas-powered lawn and landscaping equipment within the next five years. Several years ago, Sleepy Hollow became the, one of the first municipalities in New York to ban the use of gas-powered leaf blowers from May 1st to September 30th. Ray said the action by the village board was necessary because the noisy leaf blowers in residential areas had become incredibly annoying. He praised Senators Pete Harkham, who represents Sleepy Hollow, and Liz Kruger, and Assembly Member Steve Engelbright for introducing their legislation in Albany. These seemingly small steps are becoming increasingly more important as we try to achieve substantial progress in fighting climate change. We're not asking people to do something they can't do. The tremendous amount of air pollutants caused by the use of gas-powered landscaping devices will not decrease until we begin to seriously transition to zero-emission equipment. New York should not wait any longer to ensure progress on this issue. This is a problem with a solution. The bill would offer point-of-sale rebates up to $15,000 annually for commercial landscapers and institutional users and up to $300 annually for individuals who purchase battery-powered electric landscaping equipment. Hey, mm. uh, what is it? What is it? What is the old adage? Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. I mean, is it mm-hmm. tit for tat between New York and California? Uh, it, but it's also is equally weird of a state, right? Like California, you know, you got the big cities, and then like there's this whole vast area inland, right, in the Central Valley, and like out to the Sierras in Northern mm-hmm. California, that is not anything at all like what the coastal cities are there. And it's the same thing in New York. Like you get up out of the city, right, Ray? And you get up there yes. to upstate New York. And, you know, even Buffalo and Rochester have a different feel than what the rest, like 
the other big cities in the state do. It's again, righteous trying to, yeah, trying to well, trying it, to thread the needle here on. I like how the the impetus for this was. Well, the noise is annoying, not like any of the actual you know bad things that take place with these things. But yeah, you know, it's a little annoying. How many other annoying noises are there in the ambient environment around us besides a leaf blower? Like if you're that triggered by these things. Wi-Fi, microwaves. Ryan, if they're... Okay, if a leaf blower bugs them, then you you know what I propose for the state of New York? I propose that in the state of New York, no, all horns on vehicles be disabled oh god (laughs) yes yeah disable the effing horn or else if not disabled make it so that honking the horn on your car then causes 50,000 volts to go through your hand Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's one way to do it, right? There's the mentioning death. I mean, remember, it's not the bolts that kill <laughs> well, you; it's the amps. It's the so, amps. You, know, you know, you see, you see, I'd 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 say like a fifty thousand volt one microamp, uh, you know, current every time you touch the Just horn button for you, on the so stick, you can't let go, but it won't kill you, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, because you want to talk about noisy? I mean, streets of New York are famous for people honking their effing horn incessantly. I mean, the only other place that's worse than that would be uh, Mumbai, India. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think most big cities are like that. So that's, uh, you know, who. Except for except for Honolulu, there is no horn. The, there's no horn horn honk, horn honking in Honolulu at all. None, really. Really, What's the uh, I want to more learn more about this rebate thing. Is that the state government kicking in rebates? Like they're going to give you three hundred dollars a pop to get get in on this stuff? Like that's up to three hundred a year. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Oh, these are point of sale rebates. Look. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it, to 15 grand annually for commercial landscapers and institutional users. I mean, I'm sure there's some landscape companies that wouldn't even put a dent into, uh, into yeah. their, their, what they would need to, to fill out. Right. But if they only did a section of it a year and they have till what, 2025, I think it was hmm. or so over the next five years by 2027. So, I mean, in, in, I'd say that's doable. I suppose, but man, that's again, that's a lot of cash to be. I guess it shows how motivated they are, at least to try and do it. Which, if it's going to help, that's great. But you know, you think about gearing up and everything like that, and I, just, I, I just want to see, want to see how this is all going to work. Call me a curmudgeon, call me a, you know, an old fuddy-duddy, but. It seems like we've got to get a lot of things in place. A boomer. Yeah, a boomer. You're a boomer. <laughs> uh, speaking of, of boomers, I don't, you know, y'all were, were 
talking about the shocks. Do, do y'all remember the old Willie Mays commercial where he said, don't play with blasting caps? I have no idea mm-hmm. what this is. Wait, Ray does. No this idea. Is, this is old. Here you see one of America's foremost athletes in action. That same famous athlete has a word of caution for young boys and girls. Hi, this is Willie Mays. Baseball is a game of playing to win, but playing is safe and so is life. You can play hard, but play it safe. If you kids find anything that looks like those, don't taste them. Those are blasting caps. Remember now, don't taste them. Blasting caps are used almost every place. Explosives are used, like in a construction work. But you protect your arms and hands and legs and save your eyes. If you see a blasting cap, remember now, don't touch them. Tell the police or a fireman, whatever it is. Have fun like I do with those and not with these. Damn, son. I was, I was thinking about the shocker car horn there. And for whatever reason, <laughs> that brought Willie Hayes and the blasting caps. Play with those, <laughs> not these. I love it. I love it. I love that. All right, let's let's, uh, let's let's yeah yeah let's let's That's round this out here. Um, and you know we were talking a little bit about mosaic earlier, and I think this is uh, it's perfect. Ag is beginning to catch on. Tariffs lead to phosphate shortage. Farm group raised concerns over phosphate fertilizer tariffs, creating a near monopoly. Five agricultural groups have filed a court brief asking the U.S. Court of International Trade to overturn tariffs overturned tariffs imposed on phosphate fertilizer from Morocco, arguing the tariffs have given Mosaic Company a near-monopoly status when it comes to phosphate fertilizer. The commodity groups are, groups are joining an appeal against the decision by the International Trade Commission last March to impose 19% tariffs on phosphate fertilizers from Morocco. The ruling imposed tariffs, imposed tariffs for five years. The ITC imposed tariffs on the Moroccan phosphate products after a petition filed by Mosaic Company led to the tariff recommendation from the United States Department of Commerce. The ITC imposed tariffs along with tariffs on Russian phosphate fertilizer. The ITC ruled that the U.S. fertilizer industry was harmed by subsidies that Morocco and Russia were providing their industries. In their brief, the farm group says that the ITC incorrectly blamed a supply imbalance in 2019 on imports. The commission did not take into account U.S. fertilizer producers idling plants while increasing exports. The commodity group pointed to Mosaic and Nutrien, announcing separately they would idle and close plants, taking roughly 2.1 million short turns, short tons of North American production offline. A series of wet weather events in 2018 and 2019 reduced planted acres as well, further changing demand. Domestic fertilizer producers were well aware of these market dynamics and aware their decision to reduce domestic production dictated an increase in import supply. The commodity groups also stated that ITC was wrong to rule that imports were unnecessary to meet farmer demands in 2019. Anyway, long story short, this is what we run into here. Uh, Nutrient, mosaic, idling plants, exporting all their phosphate. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. When you run the, when you run the effing show, you know, you get to dictate the kind of money you want to make. You're not happy with what you're making dollar per ton. Hey, I got an idea. Let's shut the damn thing down and see how people react to it. I tell you what, 
we've got we got a, a 2.1 million uh, uh, tons of phosphate here that we're just going to go ahead and export to the highest bidder. After we shut the plant down. Yeah. So that there's no and more. Listen, all you need to do, and I'm, I shit you not, this is, I'm not crazy, and there's probably going to be a mafia that takes me out for this. Go look at what, <laughs> what Nutrient has done with potassium. I'm, I don't mean to throw Nutrient under the, under the bus here, but look what Nutrient is doing with potassium, and look at potassium prices right now. They are skyrocketing. Potassium chloride is almost the same price as where uh, sulfate of potash was two years ago. It's mm-hmm. bananas. It is bananas. This is, has reached peak freaking absurdity. Peak freaking absurdity. And when you we'll want to talk that, about yeah. how, how Mosaic uh, uh, capitalizes off this, they capitalize off this with a 61% increase in stock price. Well, that's the thing. It's like, this is, uh, this is OPEC, right? Yes. But it's publicly traded companies because OPEC yes. is a publicly traded company. It's just nation states, right? So they control production. And hey, domestic oil production in the U.S. is pushing prices down. Well, guess what? You know, we're going to increase the production and lower the price of oil such that it doesn't make sense for you guys to keep your plants open here stateside. And guess what? Fuck y'all. We mm-hmm. just made the price what we wanted to make the price. Yeah, and, and then, on, uh, on top of that, we're going to go lobby Washington to imp- uh, to impose a tariff against all the other phosphate producers. No. So they can't compete on our space. We run this bitch. Ha! <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what I is that what goes on in the board meetings? You tell me. Pretty much. Yes. It does. It does. And they have Joe Pesci up there saying, you know, tell people to, you know, Come and come and fucking get me. However, he says I don't know how he says it. he talks. You don't know him. how you don't know how he says it because you don't watch movies, Matt. Come on. Yeah, hey, I know. I know. I've seen Casino. <laughs> this came out in 1996, which consequently was the last time you watched a fucking movie. <laughs> I was going to say that I don't really remember a lot of it because I probably saw it in the 90s. <laughs> What have you been doing with your life? My goodness, I don't. I don't know. It's a. It's a great question. My dad asks me pretty much every time he sees me. What have I been doing for the last twenty five years? I don't know, Dad. <laughs> Not watch movies, Dad. Yeah, sorry, I'm a free thinker. Something, which is what he made me promise to not be when I was a guy. Just promise you, you'll be a free thinker. Oh, Dad, I never. Twenty five years later. I don't know where I've been. I don't know. Yeah. This shit freaks me out. It really does. Um, and this is what we were talking about earlier, Demay. You know, I mean, we've got, and here you know, we've got the International Trade Commission. Um, we've got uh, the SEC. We've got the FTC. And I mean, we've got agricultural lobbying groups. We've got farm cooperative lobbying groups and all this shit. And somehow Mosaic is able to get this through. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's crazy, and it's 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 bad for business. Um, monopolies are never good. If there's one thing we've learned about capitalism, is that if you know free markets reign, right? And when you when you cripple and choke a market out uh, at the behest of of one person or, or one entity or one company, then everybody gets fucked, and that's exactly where we are right now. And you know, sorry, we're demonetized on this, but 
at this point, I don't care because I'm, I'm legit pissed that we're in this situation. And like we're going to talk about next week, we're going to talk about shortages, right? And that, and, and that just doubly, I think me thinking about it right now just has me extra pissed at the, at the idea of what is taking place right now, which is shortages. Not going to get better. Just not. It's not. It's not. Listen, boys, we are, uh, we'll talk about it next week. We are foobard. We are foobard. Maybe not foobard yet, but we are fucked up. I'll tell you that. Well, again, what's going to be the equalizing force here, right? The good nature and and, uh, goodwill of Mosaic and Nutrien? Hold your fucking breath on that (laughs) one, huh? You wish, right? You wish. I mean, what is it going to take? You know, and and we will talk about it more next week, but you're starting to see in mainstream media people talking about, you know, not a food crisis, but a food, you know, some pushing up against uh, the ceiling on what is practical for agricultural production, given, you know, the, the economic forces that are there relative to the prices and the selection and all of that kind of stuff that we're, we're used to having. And that's not just like at the fucking produce section, right? Like that's also all the products that we consume. I mean, here's, here's the big one to start thinking about gentlemen. Okay. So, uh, you know, nitrogen goes up and our two biggest commodity crops, right. Are going to be soybeans and corn. Corn needs way more nitrogen. So you start planting beans, right, to hedge. And so we don't take on as much of that risk of having volatility in the fertilizer market. And what's happened to everything that gets produced with corn? It's going to go through the freaking roof. Because there's going to explode down. So that's, it's going to be that, that right there. And then what happens next, right? And it's all cyclical. I mean, you know, people making planning decisions and stuff like that, but I really do wonder here for 22, like, is there such a sizable shift, right, in that balance that there's reverberations into 23 and beyond? And I, I don't know. So anyhow, it'll be interesting to hear what uh, what we come up with next week with uh, hopefully our mystery and uh it'll be an unsolved mystery because you'll never know who it is matt did you watch unsolved mysteries by the way that television oh program? my god yes <laughs> robert so, stack that dude i stud, that guy could, stud. He, he could he could just read the phone book and scare the shit out of you i mean that guy <laughs> it, a a so, a plumbing le, uh le, legit i was the nutcase i was so paranoid um uh as as a kid so i had i had something happen to me that was akin to a uh a, an, an attempted kidnapping right and it put me into such a hyper state of paranoia that i used to walk around the neighborhood with a notebook and i would write down all the license plates jeez matt <laughs> and then every day i would circle the neighborhood and see if all the license plates matched up or there was any cars that had missed previously or where they did they not belong in the neighborhood and dude i would i would climb in people's fucking trees and watch them see who got in the fucking car and shit i mean i i went i went i went bonkers uh well i'll never forget playing basketball and i got pulling in with the truck and you know taking pictures and telling me to get in the truck with him i was 
dude, I took off running. I did. I mean, I did not get captured clearly, uh, but it scared the absolute shit out of me that that dude was real adamant about me getting in his truck with him. And I did not. Yeah, because I watched Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, we were really doing a great job on the mood here today. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's up. build this up. Let's check in on the returns and see if we can't add just a little bit of positivity. Sounds like me on the porch of Taj there. Uh, an interview with the editors of Herbicides, Chemistry, Efficacy, Toxicology, and Environmental Impacts. Uh, here we got a little article from El Severe SciTech Connect. We sat down virtually with editors Robin Mesnage and Johan Zauer to discuss their book, Herbicides, Chemistry, Efficacy, to Toxicology, and Environmental Impacts, including misinformation, glyphosate, and the future of herbicide research. In a nutshell, what is the book about? Herbicides make up an absolute metric shitload of global pesticide use and have become a pillar of modern agricultural production systems. They're applied also in private gardens, urban environments, mainly for cosmetic purposes, along roadsides, railway tracks, and landscape turf management, and even in nature conservation areas to kill invasive pests. With their beneficial influence on yields and production costs, there is a downside. Water and soil contamination, loss of biodiversity, and public health impacts such as acute poisoning and chronic diseases. While scientific evidence of adverse effects on human health and ecosystems is mounting, there's no book that summarizes it. We gathered a team of internationally recognized experts to shed light onto this complex topic and present the state of science, including chemistry, efficacy, analysis, toxicology, environmental impacts, and legal aspects. A quantitative glance at some key topics of this book is provided in the, in the concluding chapter. Uh, weeds, herbicides, analysis, mainly based on liquid or gas chromatography, monitoring, mainly based on sales data, direct non-target effects, um, not only affecting plants and crops, but also animals and microorganisms, legislation, legislation and indirect non-target effects. Um, I, I, I'm looking here to the, see... The, the summary. Go to the summary of where they're talking about. So basically, the interesting part about this thing was that they really did take a look and tried to look at it, I, I think, as objectively as anybody has. And if you look at the bottom there where they summarize it, basically what they say is that herbicides are still a part of life, right? Like, so, you know, that you have to understand that this is always going to be part of the system, right? The agricultural production system, and that we need to get more localized and targeted with what we use, what we can use, and basically still have all the tools in the toolbox, right? So... Yeah. I just thought it was interesting here how they looked at with as broad of a scope, but, but still understanding that, uh, listen, there's people that are, you know, uh, up in arms about this, but nobody's really looked at it objectively. And I think they took some shots, right? They, they basically said that, uh, you know, the glyphosate thing, there is something there. They contend that there is something there. And needs to be looked at further. And they contend that, you know, herbicide use is up exponentially over where it's been in years past. That's no, you know, you have to understand just where ag production's gone to figure out why. It's not that hard. But anyhow, there was a good, we'll, we'll have to break it down. We can't because of copyright and everything like that. But there was a, a guy featured on uh, Rogan recently that talked about the same thing. But he took a little bit different slant. He was much more in the camp that 
these things are destroying the environment and everything. He's an Ohio State guy too, Matt. So you know, mm-hmm. I already know. I what saw you think that. Him. I already know what you think of him. Yeah, bud. But yeah, so the, that was the that was the big thing here is that they they come out and they say, hey, listen, it's going to be a part of it. There's nothing we can do about it because we need these things. And so I thought that was a win in terms of just trying to educate the public that just because it has side on the back end does not necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Right, Ray? Right. Right. And uh, technology has come so, so far. I mean, again, when people are up in arms about post, you know, 1980 chemistry, Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have to think either you're extremely young or you have an ultra short memory. One of the two things, because pre 1980s, I agree there there were some ideas, practices, etc. That uh, I don't necessarily miss very much. Okay, I don't miss it because uh, in that case, it was not hyperbole to say the shit will kill you. No, I believe it. But like, then, could you, you let know, a million fast... gallons of it run of the river or not? Is that was that allowed? <laughs> no, That's no. Time and, back and then. So yeah, that was back when yeah. you didn't tell anybody. You just walked away from that shit. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And I don't know where it went. And, I don't know where it went, but then now all the fish are floating. <laughs> now all the fish are floating. I mean, hell. You do that during the spring rains and the floods, Ray. That's how you get rid of that. That's how you clean up the evidence, right? Exactly. But uh, yeah, this is a, a very objective look at basically an issue that people will have to come to terms with because fact of the matter is is that guys do you foresee us turning back the clock to a time where there's no more industrialized agriculture and everything is at a low level subsistence model do you see that no it's not sustainable no, it's not I mean, because sustainable. That, probably some people that think that they they would like that, but I think what they got when they would start doing that that it would be over pretty quick. Okay, okay, because you see, I'm familiar with subsistence, you know, agriculture, mm-hmm. and that is a darn brutal way to live. It's brutal. Because it is brutal. And there are lots of economists that have talked about this and these people that feel like the solution to, uh, uh, to, to fix everything is, is a concept of a yard garden, which I think is great. If you want to turn your yard into a garden, go for it. I don't mind. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. Is that going to feed your family? Um, uh, for the people that are strong enough or capable that are able to do it, what happens to the people that aren't capable? Or the people that miss their watering and all of a sudden their little uh, uh, self-sustaining yard garden there and they don't, they don't have any food, right? It turns into a, a Darwinistic type advancement of, of humanity, right? And who's okay with that? 
Where where yeah, do I who, get the seeds to plant the Big Mac tree? Where do I get those? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Where no, actually, where do I get the uh where do I get the recipe for the it's not meat? Where do I get that darn recipe? Uh it's in a lab. Mm-hmm. And, He's and then, fight. yeah, and then on top of that, we we just don't remember because you know, a, a few months ago, I was watching the this uh, series on YouTube called Absolute History, mm-hmm. and they were talking about, for example, milling wheat. And all I got to say is if I had rocks and pieces of the millstone in my flower, no thank you. Okay? No damn thank you. And furthermore, that wheat that was ground into flour back then was basically the whole wheat berry put between those two turning stones until it turned into somewhat of a meal. And here's the the irony of that now. What if I told you that that resulting product was actually very full of anti-nutrients? Really? It would not yes. shock me. So, no, so so what would happen is people would be consuming that, but they would then be suffering nutritional deficiencies because an anti-nutrient is basically something that is present in your food that then hinders your absorption and utilization of various nutrients. And you know what else is is also an anti-nutrient but has been misbranded as a health food? Brown rice. Oh boy, here we go. Ray's going to get shot down by the brown rice lobby. No, but it's true. No, but it's true because in feudal feudal Japan, they fed the peasants. Brown rice and the royalty ate polished white rice. And the the effect of that was that the populace was sick and weak. Um check it, check out that book if you'd like to learn more about it. And as a bit of a follow-up yes. to that, we'll jump into the next topic here, which I think is a great kind of parlay here. And uh, we got a little uh, opinion piece from Market Watch. And for those of you that play around in the stock market, you have definitely read one or two articles from Market Watch. And this is about John Parr here. He said, modern chemical pesticides are needed more than ever to fight rising pr- food prices, climate change, and world hunger. Only part of the recent rise in food prices is because of COVID-19 bottlenecks. If you want a glimpse into the future, look up the UN Food and Agriculture Organization's latest update to its global food price index. It jumped over 3% in August and now stands at almost 33% higher than this time last year. 
Analysts attribute only part of it to COVID-19. The rest is because the world is not producing enough food to meet the needs of a growing population. Food prices have been moving steadily upward for two decades now, effectively erasing the dramatic gains in productivity and affordability made during the Green Revolution in the 60s and 70s. Too many policymakers don't seem to be aware that, according to the UN, nearly 40% of the global population cannot afford a healthy diet. Instead, many policymakers seem to assume that the agriculture industry has largely solved the extraordinarily complex problem by produce, of producing a healthy, abundant, and secure food supply. The assumption leads to demands on environmental grounds that we reject the technologies that have made modern agriculture so productive. These generally include efforts to ban genetic modification, synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, and sometimes even mechanization. But pesticides are usually the top candidate for elimination. Now, with the UN Climate Change Conference that began on October 31st in Glasgow, these demands are certain to become more strident in the name of combating climate change. Agriculture will be in the crosshairs at Glasgow because it accounts for 10% of all greenhouse gas emissions. That's a number the world farming community needs to continue reducing by making agriculture more efficient and less energy intensive and through the use of cover crops and methods like no-till cultivation and help sequester the main greenhouse gas, carbon dioxide. Yet... Unless we can also continue making agriculture more productive on the land we already have under cultivation, farmers around the globe will have little choice but to clear more forest and natural vegetation to produce the additional food for the world that the world will require in coming years. And clearing land would only make the climate worse. Yeah, and this is a long article, and it's actually a very, very interesting read. I've read this before we jumped on here. And, you know, it's a bit of the Catch-22, right? And I... You know, I'm all for in with the continued evolution of the industry, you know, uh, precision applications, um, uh, uh, understanding calculated risk, uh, working calculated risk equations to determine, you know, best case scenario, worst case scenario, and factoring all that into your equation. I think as turf applicators, that's something we do on a very micro level every day, right? And mm-hmm. it can be done at scale, and technologically, we're getting to that place where it's able to be done, and I think we will see more of that. And However, these ideas of broad, sweeping bans on, uh, on side technologies means there are fewer tools in the toolbox that can be used with precision and thus put us at a point where we may falter and find ourselves short on food. Short on food. That's an interesting take. No, and also, not only short on food, but remember what I always go back to regarding the actual carbon footprint of any kind of agronomic procedure. For example, no more herbicides, right? So you have to do it all with mowing or tillage. What, guys, is the actual carbon footprint of having to do it that way? Mm. Because I always think in terms of actual carbon footprint, in terms of what are the resources and, you know, materials, you know, consumed to perform that operation, what's actually being consumed. And by the way, guys, you know what kind of bugs me out in a lot of cases? A lot of these anti-side people conveniently forget about the impact of their tillage or cutting operations. 
They just don't think about it. It's okay to run that tractor, you know, burning several gallons of diesel per acre, but you better not use that uh, evil glyphosate. Don't do it. I just think a lot of this is going to come down to the education. I don't know. I don't know who's going to step up. I mean, this this piece is written by, you know, uh, somebody in the C-suite at Syngenta legitimately. Like, yeah, who wrote this. the president of Syngenta Crop Protection. No, there you go. <laughs> but yeah. so here's what I'm saying is I don't know who is going to be that mouthpiece and that person that comes out or group that comes out and says, listen, like, and especially with what's coming, right? With all the um, with all the fertility stuff, right or lack thereof, that we're going to see in agricultural production, who's going to come out and say, "Listen, like this is literally what's propping us up right now." Because if we, you know, if we have farmers that are putting out less fertilizer, what you know, what other kinds of risks are we opening ourselves up to on some of these crops? That you know, it's not ideal, but maybe there are. Um, plant protectants out there that we can use that are going to help get us through right with uh crops that may not have the same amount of nutrients right uh that we'd like to see and i'm sure those value judgments are going to be made uh by growers everywhere and they're going to look at hey dollars and cents wise like i need to hit this you know yield level uh to make you know to make the income that i need to make you know on a per acre basis or um Whatever, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that somebody's got to come out and be that mouthpiece to start educating people because that is the thing that gets lost is that we're spraying this on there because I'm not even sure. Like, I I don't know if people think that, you know, these products are used just because it's easy or if it's convenient or, you know, farmers just like killing the environment. Like, I'm not sure what the narrative is in people's heads that would I have a sense of it. I have a sense to believe. What what do you think it is? I'm curious. No, I have a I have a sense of it because I see it locally in that people think usage of a side is basically taking the easy and lazy way out. (laughs) That is their actual mentality, and at the same time, the same people that go through the drive-through at fucking Burger King. mm Hmm. Absolutely. Speaking I mean, they, they go through the ticket. Yeah, yeah. They they go through the drive-through at Burger King. They you know buy all kinds of stuff, and you know their lifestyle is an endless cycle of buy and throw away. So we want to talk about you know environmental footprints. I think the producer or grower who's trying to get his crop to market uh i wouldn't be looking at him because i even know you know growers and Mm -hmm. you know when they have an unexpected disease or pest outbreak these guys are cringing because this is not funny for them because when they do need to go out and make these applications, that's just additional money. I mean, because yeah. I think I think for a lot of these people that are so anti-pesticide, they're under the impression that it is just cheap and easy for the 
you know, for the growers to use it. And so therefore they're thinking, oh, these guys are out there spraying stuff because they can. That's the, that's the actual mentality that I run into. Oh boy, howdy. Things Where nothing could change be, here. Or, well, nothing could be further from the truth in real life because they're not doing it because they, they can. Uh, to me, I often turn around and tell people they're doing that because they really have to. It's not a choice. <laughs> they have to. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Matt Martin, who do you think well, that's going to be? Is it going to be? Is it going to be? Uh, can we get an ag truth to come in and, and bolster turf truth? I, listen, boys, I think it's us. I think we're the mouthpiece. <laughs> there we go. Oh the man! Whole world. <laughs> Stop there it, Jay Pink. I saw that. I saw that, Jay Pink. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what? I, I'm going to become. We're the, we're the mouthpiece. <laughs> listen, how many? How many people right now are talking about these topics that we're talking about? You you see you see it in the news, but I'm talking about people that are in this shit that are doing it every day. Who's talking about it? How many YouTube videos that are going up on these 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 topics? They're not. They're not. They're going to argue about about how they applied the same fertilizer as the other fifty people fertilized and how green their grass turned because they put fucking nitrogen on it. You know that's <laughs> that's the dick polishing we've got going on right now. In in reality, we're in the midst of a of a fucking crisis. Really, and we're we're worried about polishing each other's dolphin. <laughs> and it just we, dude, there's some real hey. fucking shit going on now, and we're the only ones that are willing to talk about it. So, boys, we're we're we are the motherfucking mouthpiece right now, right here. That's Wait, us. For just a second. Are you are you not supporting the community right now? Is that oh, what you're doing? That's right. Think we're we're thinking bigger. How about that? We're thinking bigger. It's it's beyond it's beyond a community. It's it's lives. It's families. This is real fucking life. I the believe that is not real life. I believe they say it this way in in uh, East Tennessee. This is what I learned in my trip down there. I think what you're trying to say is, "Fuck y'all." <laughs> we got one more great article here that we're going to cover, and then we got to get into the mailbag. Teenager struggles Ooh. in job interviews, starts own mowing business. 18-year-old Tyler Foster Tout. Uh, interviews can be nerve-wracking for a lot of people, but for 18-year-old yep and local... Uh, if you huh? carry a knife, what? Oh, sorry. If you What's carry a knife, you risk everything. That means don't bring a knife to a motherfucking gunfight, is what he's saying. Yes. Man in my mold. That, that, that's my man. Tyler Foster Tout here is someone with uh, autism spectrum disorder and social anxiety. He struggled to speak with anyone he did not know well. After several unsuccessful attempts to get a part-time job, he was motivated with the help of his family to start a mowing business during his final year of school. He's been mowing lawns with the help of his support worker since July. Ryan Tout, Tyler's father, said his son's employment opportunities would have been slim to none without the business. He's probably had four interviews over a four-year period and wasn't successful in any of the, ro in any of the roles. It was, what are we going to do? And so we thought, set up your own business. That seemed to be the only option at the time. Tyler's mother, uh, Ryan, Ryan uh, Tout, said her uh, son can shut down with, with any communication. But 
we didn't want him to do nothing. So we spoke to my dad and together we were able to pull together some money and buy him his trailer and his equipment. Now with the help of support workers, he's able to go out and earn a son bitch and living boys. It was a little bit difficult at first, but it catches on. People get wind of it and it grows. It was a hard start to a business while still at school. Tyler said he pushed through and ahead of his graduation this month, he encouraged other young people to think about starting a business. Just have a go, get at it and keep at it. I love this. I think we need more of this. And hey, capitalism at its finest. It's it's the great American dream. You don't like where you're at? Go start your own fucking business and get it done. And this kid did it. And I couldn't be any more proud of him. He deserves it. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, he, that, Agreed. That's, that's, ahead, called, that's called ability. Right there, Matt. I call that an ability. And by the way, what a perfect thing for you know someone on the spectrum because they have the ability to just focus on it, on it, on what they're doing and just tune it all out and just tune everything else out just focus on what you got in front of you and and get it done and they they have this attention to detail because you know what Matt I would not consider actually hiring for example somebody who's quote unquote normal I would consider hiring somebody on the spectrum because I would tell him, okay, man, you cross cut this, uh, this, gra- this lawn in this pattern, uh, you know, you, you spray it, you know, in this pattern and you know what, they're going to get it done. They're going to do it and they're not going to go out there and try to reinvent the wheel and re-engineer everything. They're just going to get it done and do it the right way. I mean, so, you know, I, I look at somebody like that where otherwise people on the spectrum, their future prospects are normally very limited. Okay. So, you know, hats off to that young man for getting out there and doing something and being successful at it in the support of his family i love that too yeah yeah i think that's the whole thing is that you know uh, families like this are often challenged to find you know find a path for their children once they become adults and you know trying to have them fit into whatever mold that you know, society wants them to be and isn't always the right path, right? There's different ways of doing it. And so, you know, I'm glad to see um, if this young man was able to find something, right, that he can at least start out with who knows where he goes and what he does from here, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it grows. Maybe it's a one-man band for the rest of time, and that's what he does. But, you know, like he said, he's giving it a go. And that's the most important thing is just getting out there and trying. So kudos to him. We'll have to see how 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 it goes for him. Anything we can do to support, hopefully, uh, to reach out maybe that Gmail address and definitely already did. Bring bring the heat. <laughs> right? Don't don't come like Tiffany to a a knife fight. You gotta you gotta have your peace, man. Yeah, come 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 strapped, come strapped. I like this guy. <laughs> I like this guy. Um. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is not an, an American story here. Uh, 
So I said the American dream and that was, uh, I shouldn't have said that. So anyway, where is not, a, it's not American. Where's, where's Australia, South African, Austra- Australia. Australia. Yeah. Okay. Australia. But you know is what? It, is there, what is the Australian dream? Like, is that like, uh, I think it's, I, I think it's similar to the American dream and you guys got to understand something that in these, you know, other countries, Mm-hmm. They often don't have the level of community support services for example for you know kids that have aged out and they're on the spectrum. Correct. You know because because basically a lot of these you know people they end up just being on you know public support you know sitting at home getting fat. So they don't have they don't have a they don't have a good future in front of them. Yeah. No, and but, like I said, it's a path forward. It's a path mm-hmm. forward. Uh, mail? Gentlemen, let's check out let's check out the mailbag. You've got mail. So we have a note here from Frank, and Frank said, "What are the some of the most important maintenance fertilizing practices that need to be followed when caring for KBG not real mode over turf type tall fescue?" The four R's. <laughs> right, Ray? So, okay. Yeah, let's, the four let's R's. Start there. Let's start with let's, the four let's R's. Let's break that quick. down. So, right, we need the right product, right time, right the product. right rate. Mm-hmm. What's the last one, Ray? And to me, I say the, the right reason, you know, for mm-hmm. for doing it, you know, because you got to tailor your program for what you actually want that to do. So you know, right nutrient source, right rate, right time, and you know, got to keep it in the right product, place. Kind of, and you got to keep get... it at the right place too. So, for example, you've got folks, mail. That you mean please, that you wouldn't. You wouldn't go out and fertilize your lawn in forty degree temp- soil temperatures because somebody on your on the internet told you to do so. so yeah, because there, that person be there. Yeah, that per that person told me that if I throw it down now, it's going to sit there, and then by it sitting there all winter, I'm going to be ahead of everyone else, and I'll be the first to dominate come next spring. That's what I was told on the internet. I just put a ball gag in my lawn's mouth. That's how I do it. Seems to work a little <laughs> bit better. It's a little bit more environmentally friendly. Frank, I do too. There's not a lot of major difference between managing Kentucky bluegrass and turf type tall fescue if it's not real mode. Um, mm-hmm. No. So if you, if, yeah, I there's yeah, I've. I've so real, real dealing with a little bit different disease profile, but that's that's yeah. really about it. Specific things then: uh, bluegrass and tall fescue, what I would consider high cut, right? So two inches plus. Uh, number one is fall is going to be the most important time that you should fertilize. Fifty percent or so, fifty to sixty percent of your annual nitrogen should be applied between the months of mid-August through mid-October, right? So. Put that in the in your pipe and smoke it. And then also, uh, if you are like what Matt said, if you are dealing with uh, 
unirrigate. Well, if you're unirrigated, it's a little bit easier to manage because your your disease risk is not going to be quite as high. But if you're on irrigated, you definitely going to have to watch your nitrogen through the summertime, right? Because you get irrigated turf that's lush and succulent, and then you're juicing it with fertilizer, could run into some problems. So just take that for what it's worth. But um, otherwise, fertility wise, get your soil test done. If you have a need for P and K, you know, apply based on the soil test, but N rates, you should be, you know, no more than four pounds. If it's an older lawn, somewhere down close to like, you know, two and a half, three pounds for the entire year and you'll be fine. Easy, easy, easy laid out. Uh, we have another one here from Thomas. Thomas said, Hope y'all are well, and then you might help me identify this particular weed. I can't seem to knock out. I attached some bids. I tried Fusillade, Speed Zone Red, Certainty in Celsius. Thanks, Thomas Hanan. What have oh, you not boy, tried, Thomas? Quality. I can't. Supposedly, it's uh, Soja Japonica. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it could be Manila, Soja Matrella, but... Uh, Around here, everybody calls it Zoysia Japonica. I've been able to uh, knock out a lot of the stuff that's here, but not this one. I can't even begin to tell what that is. Yeah, that, that, that's it's hard to that tell one, what that even is. It's the only one so far that I haven't been able to knock out. I've used... Um, is it the grassy weed or is it like, red, fusilade, like tropical single grass or something? Also, uh, Celsius could be max rate, and I've used. Uh, I'm just thinking of what would be really, really green. I can't get it locally. This is called uh, ratana, R-A-T-A-N-A grass. So I don't know if you have any idea what it could be or what might work on it. But it's the only one that's not being touched at all. Okay, yeah, knocks if, out the other stuff. And where is this gentleman from? Yeah, I don't idea. know. Appreciate it. Thanks. What the hell? So, uh, I found the Latin name for it. Uh, yes, yeah. Shimam mm -hmm. Indicum. Out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, ore piles in Canton, Maryland. Because if it's some kind of a one of what I call broadly one of those tropical weedy grasses, he might not have anything selective for it because the, a lot of these tropical weedy grasses are very tolerant of the sulfonylurea herbicides, for example. Oh, here we go. I got one from. This is a weed control manual from China. Mm-hmm. What do they say to use on it? I'm trying to I'm trying to see here. Where are we at here? Because in the I think in the People's Republic of China, uh I think you're still allowed to some... use atrazine. Atrazine, uh and worse. <laughs> Where is this thing? There it is. 313. Oh, this is just the table of contents. You sons of bitches. Mm. Well, it's the table of contents, but it's in here. I can't find it there. I'll keep looking. 
It's a tropical forage grass, is what it is. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, I have some Sencor? names for it here. I right? Actually, that is. Okay, if you have uh, here's the thing about a lot of these a lot of these tropical grasses is that here's what I find with them: they tolerate the Sencor and Pilex treatment, for example. They, mm-hmm. they they don't even bleach out. They just live right through it. Uh, I would think that he'd be a case for that weed wiper with the 30% glyphosate on it. Let Ooh. it grow taller than the zoysia and then wipe over the top of the weedy grass with the glyphosate. Hook him up. Yeah, yeah. Because ha- I mean, you might have to because I'm I'm just thinking... Yeah, because, uh, by the way, guys, I see a lot of these so-called tropical forage grasses here in Hawaii. But you do. They're they're weeds here. And a lot of times, once I've gone through the, you know, the more selective things, like the Celsius plus revolver or the Imogen revolver or tribute total, and then finally, you know, Syncor and Tenacity, once I've gone through those, then it's glyphosate followed by the blowtorch. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they're they're talking about uh an agricultural product out of Guyana in rice called Designy. Mm-hmm. Uh that offers Can you get that on Dubai? I have never heard of that. Uh, here's another video he sent if this helps oh boy okay here we go here's the smorgasbord that's the bahia grass this one i don't know what it is this looks sort of like dallas grass but no seed head where is this guy at he didn't say he's definitely in the tropics you know what he? You know he sounds like he's in Guam. He sounds like he's in Guam. Ray with the uh, Pacific dialects. He's he's mm-hmm. only on that. Yeah, he sounds like he's in in Guam, and the the and and you know why I think Guam? So they have what? they have butt tons of zoysia japonica and emerald zoysia in Guam. It's actually mm-hmm. cultivated as as their desirable turf grass, but because Guam is totally tropical, they have all of these subtropical forage grasses that become weeds. I think you just got that. So email them back and see if you can send some pictures. That'd be great too. Yeah. Um, so this is what's interesting. They actually, for that particular grass in the first one, the, the Ratana, um, mm-hmm. sodium. Oh yeah. Which, velocity. uh, yeah, which was the old velocity. And in these areas, this is manufactured by AgroSer, uh, A-G-R-O-S-E-R. And, uh, mm-hmm. the product is Designy 400 SC. Designy 400SC is no longer manufactured in the United States or labeled yep. for uh, residential lawn use, but 
Um, yeah, bisperac sodium. I might be able to find some. Okay. Okay. Right. Wasn't bisperac uh, sodium this uh, oddball ALS inhibitor that was directed towards POA? Correct. Yes. Wasn't it? Wasn't it used for po for potrivialis? And the reason why it went off market is because there was a fine line between the turf grass tolerating it and it just smoking everything that you sprayed it on. The problem was it didn't do it right away. Right. Mm -hmm. So you you would do this. And it right. would put the grass, it did this like it would lull you in this false sense of security. And then the first hint of hot weather, which they wanted you to spray it in the summertime. They wanted you to use the heat to your advantage. Right. So like guys oh. would go out and spray it. You know, when we here you'd have a stretch low eighties, no big deal. You get up to about mm -hmm. ninety and instant answers right there. So you had guys that sprayed this and then Everything's fine for two weeks, and the temps go up, and then nighty night. Yes, good. the mm -hmm. timing, the timing of it was so. I did some off-label velocity applications just to see what kind of results I would get, and you had to be so dead nuts on with the timing, and uh, and a lot of times, what would happen is, is when I show up for the third application, the POA was checked out. And okay. it was it was starting to go dormant, and you know you go to make your third application, and just absolutely nothing happens because it was already checked out, and uh, so yeah, it was it was real tough. And see if uh, you can send us some pictures. Incredibly JPEG. expensive. I'd love to see some pics of this. Yeah, I would too. Sure, I definitely would. And, yeah. and then location. I'm trying to find out where he is too. I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear that. All right, we got another one here. This is from Eric. Eric. Lives in St. Louis, Missouri with a new yard in fall of 2019. No straw, no washout. Tilled the full one and a half acres. A few years later, furt and reseed. Happy with how the yard looks. Minor weeds, remaining problem. Bumpy lawn. Don't need a golf course smooth, just power wheels and lawnmower smooth. Where can I start without losing the grass that I have worked to get? Average height to cut three and a half inches with a 52-inch coral walk behind. Primarily tall fescue with Kentucky bluegrass and rye. Growing season is mid-March to mid-November. Uh, with new yard in fall of 2019 and it looks like this this needs to be overseeded oh it's big yeah it's, it's big. big it's like over, um i'd get the I, I'd what i'd be that doing. Is, i'm going full connor ward on this thing i'm just dumping out loads of sand or top or, or finely screened topsoil and dragging it in See the end of that, and then how much? Well, hear hear me out. Hear me out. How much of that is a bumpy lawn, and how much of that is grass that is checked out and is starting to green back up? There's definitely some density issues there. I'm just not sure if that didn't fill in or what. But you get this, you know, look at the clumpiness there, and that's real clumpy. Yeah, it's real clumpy tall fescue. So I'm wondering what kind of seed was used. You know, if it was. Good quality turf type tall fescue, or was there some K31 that was mixed in there? What are we dealing with there? So I don't my, know. My theory is is that that's the Kentucky is St. Louis. The Kentucky bluegrass completely checked out. The tall fescue's mm -hmm. fine, and now the Kentucky bluegrass is greening up. And in the spring, it'll probably be pretty close to level once it it comes in and fills in. 
So okay, here's the here's the bargain basement way. Is just go out there, find you know where all the bad holes are because you're mowing over top of them, right? Just bring some flags with you, mark them with the flag or something like that, like a little marking flag. Get those at Home Depot. Go back in and fill those in with a little bit of soil. You can seed into those, but the rest of this I would just try and push with fertilizer to build density. Hopefully, you know, overseed it if you can. It's a little late now. Maybe do a dormant seed, something like that, but. I don't know how unlevel it is. I, I see what you're saying, how unlevel it is based on just grade versus density, right? Yeah. That looks more like density. What do you think there, Ray? What I think is uh, that looks to me like a tilled area that was not properly compacted afterward. Mm-hmm. So I think the gentleman has some holes, holes to fill. And if he doesn't have, if he's not going to hold, you know, fill the holes, I'd even tell them to, I don't know, tear it up with the a Harley rake, uh, get no. it flat, no. and then reseed it. I got one more redneck idea here that I think could work. Redneck phrase mower? No, 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 no. You get your get you a roller, like a big dual drum asphalt roller delivered mm-hmm. next spring after you go through your freeze thaw cycle and you got good firm ground conditions you're not gonna get stuck anywhere and you just sit on that thing for an entire day and roll the absolute piss out of this lawn and see how okay flat you can get it see how flat I'm not worried about see how flat you can get I'm not worried about compaction we'll deal with that later just got to get it flattened out mm-hmm. got to smooth out sure that's that sounds uh like the third way because i sometimes tell people that they need to get a pavement roller on their lawn oh, yeah. because whoever installed their lawn tilled it and then failed to water and roll before bringing in the sod or the sprigs. And so the way mm-hmm. to remedy that is bring the, the Bomeg uh, pavement roller ee, ee, yep. ee, right over, you know, for an afternoon and yep. Hopefully it gets flat. In fact, my sod installer friend has one of those pavement rollers. Really? It's one of those walk behind. It's one of those walk yeah, behind uh, thousand pound rollers. Mm-hmm. You know, with the with the he pulls a Honda engine on it, and then he just you know drives it back and forth over the over the area, and stuff gets flat. That's how you send it right there. Yeah. <laughs> Hear that, Matt? Three tons of fun on the lawn. <laughs> That's how you do it. Sign me up for nothing to do with that. Three thousand pounds is frightening, no matter how you look at it. No, no, no. Three thousand pounds. Right three now. tons. Three tons. Six thousand pounds, dog. Oh, six six thousand pounds is even worse. Four point three long exactly tons. Think, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna do the math, there. I don't. Know, is that right? That's not right. Well, G G Matt, because I mean. Rollers don't bother me because at the golf course, I have the guy rolling the greens three times a week. And at the bowling green, I tell the members to go ahead and drive the roller on the green before they use it. And they're doing that four times a week. Keeping it smooth. Uh, Yeah. Gentlemen, do y'all have any closing remarks? No. I'm... I'm, uh, No. It was a, it was a good show. Hopefully, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to our surprise mystery unsolved mystery guest. 
next week. I think it could be fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've got Mr. Ferguson on Thursday, Thursday coming up. That should be a good time too. And Ooh. we want to give a special shout out to the uh, to the to the damn patrons that make this some bitch a reality. Neil McLaughlin, Scott Kelly, Brian Wat Wat Watson, John Wilbanks, William Huba Huba. That's that's Tanner actually from Turfology. Y'all remember him at Taj? Oh we yeah, had a good time. Yeah. And uh, his business partner, uh, Michael Brantley. Guys, y'all were so much fun. Thank you for everything. Jesse Bousquet Jr., Tony Pfeiffer, Alan Takach, Paul Smith, Chuck Benzing. Did I say that right? Benzing? Yep. Every time I say it, I always think benzodiazepine. Brennan, Kenneth Martin, Lone Goose, Jeremy Such, George Popa. What's up, big George? Michael J. Brenton, Matthew Cannon, Truck-A-Trav. Tyler, Stacy, Benjamin Mossing. What's up, B Moss? We had a good time too. Felix Genorio, mm-hmm. Charles BB, Johnny Fescue, and our all favorite Greek geek, Greek geek Nick. Don't fight with us tonight, sir. I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are one of the fine patrons, meet us over in the Discord and help us pick a title to tonight's show. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>